welcome 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 hello beloved i'm so glad you're here welcome to the call to love experience i am jasmine bellamy your host and founder of love 101 ministries i am a love practitioner minister and a joyful disruptor with a redemptive imagination the call to love experience is an invitation to join us on a spiritual journey as we examine the theology and cultivate the practice of love. This is episode seven, The Spirituality of Love. We're shifting our exploration inward to our own spiritual formation. We are seeking a deeper relationship with God. This conversation is imperative to living a life full of love. Thank you for joining us. There are three parts to the call to love experience. Listen, engage, reflect. We'll begin with tonight's centering scripture, utilizing a spiritual practice called Lectio Divina or sacred reading. This is an invitation to ground yourself in this moment, to quiet your mind and ready yourself to receive what God has for you. Part two, engage. Tonight's conversation offers us a unique opportunity to engage and examine the theology of love. We encourage you to join along in the chat with your questions, emojis, or even amen when something resonates with you. This is a communal practice in our sacred space that we are co-creating together. Part three, reflect. We will end with reflection and introspection using a spiritual practice called the prayer of examen to help us cultivate our love practice. But before I introduce tonight's guest, I want to send some love to my sis, Reverend Candace Green, who is holding us down. Um, she always holds this container for us um, so that we can really be able to engage in a fruitful discussion. So thank you so much, Candace, for all that you do. I am delighted to welcome tonight's guest, Dr. Cindy Lee. Hello, Jasmine. Hi, Cindy. Cindy Lee is a theologian and a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. She is also a spiritual director and the author, author of Our Unforming, De-Westernizing Spiritual Formation. Welcome, Cindy. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you, Jasmine. I'm so, so glad that you are with me here in the studio. And I want to actually say at first, thank you for um, sharing tonight's Lectio with us. Um, you know, I like to make this a, a process that is interactive. And so I'm so happy to, that, that this is a scripture that was meaningful to you and to me. Um, and so I'm looking forward to reflecting on it on the other side. Yes, I'm excited too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we'll begin with Lectio Divina, Luke 7, 36 through 50. 
we're going to do something a little bit different tonight because it's a long, beautiful scripture. We're going to sit in it once. And then we're going to follow up with a poem that actually reflects um, and, and responds to that scripture. So I'm going to invite yourself to um, settle, ground down. Hopefully you're not multitasking. You could just be still for a moment to hear scripture being read to you, to allow you to receive the words in this beautiful passage. So Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She bought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the oil on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfume oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven. So she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins 
are forgiven. The other table guests began to say among themselves, who is this person that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Alabaster, in God Speaks Through Wombs by Drew Jackson. Word got around that the one who does wonders is under their roof. I wonder what he'll do for me. Will he reject me as do the ones he eats with? Subject me to false perceptions? Accept me? I guess acceptance is worth the risk when you are constantly dismissed, dismissed by men who claim to be agents of God. But, but despite what they say, I know God and I have learned to discern the difference between pharisaical leaven and bread from heaven. My tears can't help but roll when I taste sweet mercy, when I am shown worth instead of a hurried out of his presence. I break open the alabaster jar of my own precious life to pour out on the beautiful feet of this one who brings good news. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God, supreme being who is love and loves us faithfully and unconditionally. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Holy Spirit, breath of God, creative force, bond of love. Blessed Trinity, be present with us in this space as we examine your word. We desire to remain in your love so we may flourish. I pray over Cindy and myself and this beloved community assembled for this communal practice. Touch our eyes to see, ears to courageously listen, hearts to open and soften to receive your truth and our bodies that they might manifest and incarnate your love. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I love that scripture. Me too. Mm -hmm. I mean, as as we ask, you know, I, I, I invite us to kind of model the process of Lectio for those who um, may have experienced it for the first time, but what what word or phrase, what stands out to you? What resonates as you heard that scripture read to you tonight? 
You know what sticks out to me most when I whenever I meditate on this passage are not the words. Mm. Right? It's this passage is so sense-filled. It's mm. sensual, right? Mm-hmm. And it's especially it's in the context of a patriarchal society mm-hmm. in which this woman doesn't get a voice. She doesn't mm-hmm. get to speak her words. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even get to be named. And so mm-hmm. what does she do? She communicates her love with her body. Mm-hmm. And so when we meditate on this passage, what I noticed are the senses, the smell, right? The beautiful aroma, the intimacy of her touch and her kisses, her, her, you know, the silkiness of her hair, right? It's, um, and just her presence, her touch. Um, so that's, that's what she communicates and that's how she communicates and that's what sticks out to me. Mm. Not her words, it's her mm-hmm. body and her presence. Mm-hmm. What about you? What sticks out to Oh you? my goodness, that is so good. And you know what I love? Um, as you said that as you as you as you set the context of a patriarchal society that this is this this is this is this this is the context of what's playing out that she has no name and i think about all of the unnamed women hidden in the scriptures yeah so that's the first thing that came to mind as you said that but I love how you mentioned the sensor, the sensual and sensory nature of this scripture. You're right. It's like if if you're really sitting in it, you almost can smell what this these oils smelled like. You you know, anytime you might have been around incense or something, any of those kinds of memories um, can come back to you. Mm-hmm. And it's you so know, powerful. I know, I know. Yeah. And what I love that you did too is that even without words, love is embodied and incarnated and manifested. And so all of that is just, there's something so powerful about that. So, so even in this society where she's devalued and disempowered she has done something so powerfully and what also comes to me it's so funny i i I love this scripture and particularly the end that that all of that that action that you just described that is totally embodied that is not words that jesus point pinpoints it as faith, that those actions, those expressions, this, this, this resistance almost to defy the societal norms, that that is her faith. And so the interesting thing about it for me is I want to transport, I want to transpose often this scripture with the woman with the issue of blood because of the way it ends. In that case, Mm. your faith has made you well. And in this case, your sins have been forgiven and your faith has saved you. So I always 
when I hear either one of them, I'm kind of putting both of these women um, almost in a, that like they're coming together fully to me. So I almost see the stories in a multi-dimensional facet because I'm thinking of both of these women um, and their stories and how Jesus is responding to them um, in very similar ways. Um, so the embodiment of faith as love is, is what is, is what's resonating with me right now. Yeah. And I think what you pointed out is really important because Jesus doesn't say I saved you. Right. Cindy, listen, we just, <laughs> we're not even in five minutes into this thing and you, you, yes, go right there, please. <laughs> he, he empowers, <laughs> he empowers both of these two women. Yes. Your faith safety, yes. yes. your actions, yes. your responses yes. saved you, right? Yeah. He is giving them the agency and that power, um, right? Where where we've been taught, right? Like, oh, you can't you can't do it yourself. You're so powerless. You have to do this and do this, right? But he is giving them agency. Your faith has yeah. saved you. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. the other thing then that Jesus proclaims over her is her great love. Yes. Right. He is like calling her out as this is love. Yeah. Do you yeah. see her? This is yeah. love. Um, that, you know what? That was the other part that, you know, you, you read different translations of the same scriptures, but do you see her? also stood out to me when um i was reflecting on this even prior today like it, it was it was something about it that seemed so much more clear that i hadn't noticed before mm -hmm. um and so thank you for saying that again too oh yeah that's good that's good yeah that goes back to the senses right yeah do you see her do you yeah. notice her yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and you know um What's really interesting about what is also at play too is it makes the real connection of love being hospitality. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the way Jesus connects what she has done to the host, you know, in comparison to the host. Um, so this, this hospitable nature too and, and how love is hospitable. Um, I thought that was really beautiful too. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you actually set your background to also speak from, uh, speak more into this um, this um, scripture today. Will you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so I hung up my scroll today because this story has actually followed me my whole life like i have a, wow. a you know almost 20 year relationship with this passage where it just wow. keeps coming back in different seasons and i grow a, another layer deeper into this story and so mm -hmm. this scroll is actually one i had uh, commissioned or or made in mm -hmm. beijing when mm -hmm. i was 20 years old wow um, and, and what it says is her great love and mm -hmm. it comes exactly from that passage right and it was an intention that I set for myself at mm -hmm. 20 years old it was mm -hmm. I want to become a person of great love yeah, um, yeah. 
Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And and such a beautiful way to to actually enter into the theme for tonight. The theme, the spirituality of love. And I have to say that when I first um, started thinking about the purpose of Love 101 and how to, you know, be able to express it, um, I originally said the theology and spiritual practice of love. And and that was probably pre-seminary. And then as I worked through that journey, I, I wanted to really almost, um, I, it was a spiritual practice together that was the part that I felt I needed to kind of pull out a bit because I really wanted to emphasize the, the practical theologian in me needed to kind of change that up a bit, right? So I separated to be the theology and the practice. But as I approached your beautiful book, which I will share how informing, you compelled me to add not spiritual practice, but the spirituality of love. And so now I emphasize the theology, the practice, and the spirituality of love. And so I would love if you, before we get into the story of the book and the why behind the book, but just illuminate a little bit that that definition, how you frame, how you help us understand um, even just the word spirituality, because that's a word that we throw around in culture a great deal. Um, so I would love for you to to share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, you know, I found it helpful to do compare between theology and spirituality because that will help us understand what spirituality is. Mm -hmm. Because theology is our effort to define God, mm -hmm. right? So it's our mind's effort to give some words to who mm -hmm. God is. Mm -hmm. But you know, back. To the days of the desert fathers and mothers, what they believed was as soon as you try to define God, you're wrong mm -hmm. because God is so big and our human language so limited, mm -hmm. that task is almost impossible, although it's helpful to try. Yes. That's theology. Yeah. Spirituality then is our experience of the divine, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it's not the head's effort to try to give some words to define, right? It is just our everyday lived experience of the holy and the sacred and the divine in and around us. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's all about experience. I can't even explain it because it has no words. It is our experience. Well, I love one word that you did have um, in the book. You described that ache. And yeah. even in a word like that, that I, I felt that, <laughs> I, I felt that, um, cause I know that, that yearning, that ache for the divine, that, that, that we, that sometimes, um, the busyness of life silences and we don't even have words to describe what it is. Um, but I love that you described it as that ache. I thought that was pretty yeah. beautiful. It yeah. begins with that ache yeah. or it comes back from, because of that ache. Yeah. Because I think we spend so much of our life numbing ourselves. Mm 
Yeah. Right. So we just through our busyness or sometimes intentionally to resist and avoid, we just keep moving from one thing to another. But every once in a while, we're going to pause mm -hmm. and then the ache will come in. Mm -hmm. There is something more. Mm -hmm. I need something more. Mm -hmm. And that ache, right, is what kind of sparks our spirituality to, to then ask, okay, what is that more? How do I pay attention to that? Yeah, I love that. I love that. So, Cindy, can you tell us, I mean, first of all, your the title of your book, I love. I love the title, Our Informing. Help those of us who may be hearing this, this idea of de-westernizing our formation. Tell us the backstory. Why this title? Why this book? Um, what, what's your why? My why was my own crisis of faith. Mm. <laughs> so this was in fall 2019. I had been studying spirituality, Christian spirituality for a long time. I completed a doctorate degree in Christian spirituality. And then I had a crisis <laughs> where I realized so many of the spiritual traditions that I've been learning from and value, they're all Western. They're mm -hmm. all, you know, white voices. Mm -hmm. And then I just asked this question, what have I been doing with my life? And mm -hmm. did I waste all my tuition money <laughs> pursuing <laughs> this, this white people's faith? Um, and it just brought me to a crisis. Yeah. That was fall 2019. Mm -hmm. And then what happened after that, shortly mm -hmm. after that was a, a pandemic. Um, and then I found, oh, I had time. <laughs> so I had a lot of time by myself, especially the very early seasons of the pandemic. What do I do with this time? Mm -hmm. And I began my own exploration and it has continued where for the last three years, I primarily read from authors of color. I just shifted that practice intentionally mm -hmm. where I'm only mm -hmm. buying books from authors of color mm -hmm. and then reading authors of color. And then as I've been reading all these different stories, spiritualities, theologies, I've been asking what's different. Mm -hmm. um, and as I was doing that for myself, I was taking notes, right? Journaling for myself. And so those notes eventually became the book. Um, but what I realized in that process was actually so much of what we think is Christian, right? Is actually just white people culture in the church, right? <laughs> and we don't, we don't need it, right? We don't need the white people culture stuff, right? So then I began at just imagining, what if the growth of, spiritual, of Christianity went in other directions first? What if it went down first? What if it went the other way first? If those people had become the leaders, if women had become the leaders and the theologians, what would our faith as Christians look like and mm -hmm. feel like? What would mm -hmm. we be doing with our bodies? Mm -hmm. What would we be writing about? And I just was imagining, right? Mm -hmm. So we unform the Western cultural elements that don't have to be there. And then we begin to reimagine, what could this look like? What could this feel like? 
what is this like in our bodies? What is our Christian spirituality? So that that's the why for the book. And it was it's all for me. <laughs> so I hope you all, you know, enjoy it and benefit from it. But it was a process I needed for myself. Right. I love that. Can I tell you, Cindy, the the beauty of the first time I heard you tell that story, I was at a crisis. I knew I was being drawn to go deeper in study and um and I and I and I, I I felt called to a particular place, but I had this ache to study more theology in particular. Because with my business background, I was moving in a non-research route, but I kept feeling like I had graduated from the theological kiddie pool, and I needed to go deeper. Like I just kept feeling this, and as I started to kind of move toward that, things got crazy. <laughs> things got crazy. And all of a sudden I was like, something, something's not right about this. Like all of a sudden um, I just, I could feel I had gotten on the wrong path. And what mm. I realized, what I was doing, I was putting myself on the altar of the white academy. Mm-hmm. And I had no business being there. And I remember coming to shout out to Fuller Woman of Color virtual luncheon at a at a moment where I was like, like this ain't right. <laughs> like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And you told that story, and I realized I realized that I'm like this is this is not somebody's supposed to do this, but this is not what you are supposed to do. And so you've got to take back the power that you are giving other people to move yep. in, in what has been given to you to do. And so when I tell you I that story changed me, like literally I got off that call. I was like, oh, not doing that program next. Oh, going to, you know, waiting a year, starting a program I know I'm called to because but you sharing that story helped me hear and see and discern what was going around me um, more clearly. I remember that, and that was the first time I think I had ever encountered you. It, I mean, that story changed me. And so I have to say thank you um, for your own crisis because your crisis helped me with my crisis. <laughs> Good. I'm um, glad to hear that. It did. It really put me right back on the right path. I mean, and I made decisions with confidence right from that moment um, be- because you helped me see um, what I was. It was almost like my own accidentalism was was forcing me to move down a path, but I wasn't called on that path. Mm-hmm. So I, I I was so blessed by your own own pilgrimage almost, right? Your own literary pilgrimage and and your unforming um, allowed me to be able, it was an invitation for me to um, go through my own unforming. So I thank you Mm. for that. So what I love about the way you've structured your book is um, you've given us this, um, you've talked about orientation. And so what I'd love for you to do is one, help us understand why orientation 
is, is an important part of the book. Um, and then I would love us to talk through the different orientations um, that you've, how you've divided the book and you can help journey us through um, each of them. Yeah, so these are cultural orientations. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the unfortunate part about this book is that as people of color, we first need to defend ourselves mm. first before we can speak our spirituality. Because mm. if I just said, this is my spirituality, I would get pushback. That's not spirituality, right? We first need to defend ourselves saying, we get a voice here and we can Mm -hmm. We can claim our spirituality before we can actually speak our spirituality. And so the orientations are cultural orientations. Mm -hmm. It's I'm pulling from actual social science research studies that show these are actual cultural differences around the world and that every culture is on a different spectrum you know different parts of the spectrum as far mm -hmm. as these different orientations mm -hmm. after setting up that those orientations then i explain okay if we have a different cultural orientation what then does our spirituality look like mm -hmm. um, and so the three orientations are first from linear to cyclical right mm -hmm. so if we have a cyclical cultural orientation what does that spirituality look like the second mm -hmm. one then is from sort of the head knowledge into the experienced and embodied spirituality. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And then the mm -hmm. third is from individual into a collective cultural orientation. So mm -hmm. then what does a collective spirituality look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, when I read that, I was like, yeah, I know all of that to be true. <laughs> like, like I, I, it, it, I loved that you named those things. And um because I think we don't we don't realize to your point what what we what our spirituality has been formed on top of. And so I love that you 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 offer an, another view another another orientation other orientations um to help us experience our faith differently it's so funny just today i um <laughs> I, I i i don't know whether i coined the phrase or not I, i'll but i will tell you i felt like i did <laughs> um heart set because we say mindset and I was like, N -n 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 -n, it's about a heart set. That like, and that's a different orientation of how we move through the world and experience the world when we are, you know, cause I think I've been, I've been sitting on that heart knowledge mm, yeah. as opposed to just the intellectual pursuit, which is yeah. very Western, which is very Western. Yeah, that's helpful. And our bodily knowledge, right? So yeah. I've been noticing as people have been reading the book, there's a difference to how white people are responding to it and then how people of color are responding to it because white people are like, oh, this is very challenging. People of color are like, oh, this feels right. 
because mm -hmm. this is what these are the orientations we've been feeling and experiencing in our bodies and in our communities all along. So mm -hmm. all that I'm doing is just naming it. Um, yeah. But we've yeah. already we already knew this in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So can you can you take us through the first cultural orientation? that shift from linear to cyclical. And I, I will say up front, I love a journey. <laughs> so I know you, you, you speak about that and that's fine. And I'm, I'm here for it, I'm here for it. Um, but I, I do love that shift, that shift. So please tell us a little bit about that shift. Sure, sure. So, you know, in the West, it's primarily a linear culture. So then the church has created our faith, our discipleship, our spirituality, all from this linear orientation. So then they've created a faith that is based on, okay, here are the steps, one, two, three. And then all the spiritual formation books by Western people talk about a journey, right? So it's a path that you follow. There's a beginning and there's an end. There's a destination, right? And you follow the path and there are markers along the way. What that has done to our faith and spirituality is we now measure ourselves by our progress, even our spirituality. We think, mm -hmm. oh, there is something I need to achieve. And so then we make our spiritual practices, right? Achievements. Oh, I did my meditation for today. Check it off the list. Good job, right? And we are try constantly trying to achieve and progress through our spirituality. So that is the linear orientation in our spirituality. Mm -hmm. What if our spirituality was formed with a cyclical orientation? And so, so many other cultures in this world are cyclical cultures, right? They believe that everything in life is cyclical. So in indigenous cultures, right? Believe, right? Everything is cyclical. Eastern Chinese cultures, everything is cyclical. And it, what they, how they got that was by observing the earth, right? Our world is cyclical. We have seasons, we have the moon, right? That goes around and around, right? So every, if the nature, if the earth is cyclical, if nature is cyclical, maybe our lives are cyclical too. Maybe. What that means then <laughs> for spirituality is, well, then there is no progress. There is no thing you need to reach. There are no steps you need to take. We are whole and complete mm. already. Amen. And so our spiritual journey is just that experience of coming into our wholeness. Mm -hmm. And that takes a cyclical journey, right? Like if you mm -hmm. listen to the, mm -hmm. the issues that you have to deal with, how often are they cyclical, right? The vices, right, that, you, that are the challenges in your life, how often do you have to come back to that again and again? And you're like, oh, I'm dealing with this again. Mm -hmm. But it's actually just, it's the layers. We yeah. work on one layer, we come back to it in another season yeah. of life. We kind of work on another layer. And so we're just deepening into our wholeness rather than wholeness as an achievement. Yeah. Oh, deepening into our wholeness as I write that down. You know what, and I, I actually experienced that this week. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I had um, I had one of those incidences 
Um, I, I sensed it was coming. I knew it was coming. Like I, I knew it was eventually coming. I could, I literally could feel it. And the beauty about it is as it was happening, I could see like the patterns were very, they, they were all the same patterns as the, in the past. Mm -hmm. But what I was able to see is how I was different. Yes, that's good. And so I could, I could see my growth. Like I could remember how those patterns, how they, how I felt them in my body before. And I could see how I was experiencing it now. It was really powerful, but it, it's so funny that when, as you said that, it reminded me of the, that reflection um, that I, I could see that it came right back around. But because of my own growth, my own healing, I am different in it. And so the, how, it, how it ended or how it resolved itself was different. Yes. Um, and that was such a wonderful thing to celebrate. Like I literally celebrated because I know how that cycle went down before, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. many times mm -hmm. before. And so, you know, that that it, it does show that the growth is cyclical. Um, so I, I definitely experienced it, that, that just personally this week. Yeah. So I think rather than getting frustrated yeah. <laughs> when those things come back around yeah. again, it's yeah. celebrating, as you yeah. said, yeah. okay, what is the next deepening yeah. that I need to do here? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was such a, it was, it was so beautiful. Like it's something that would have normally, you know, created angst was so not, I could be so present and so um, aware and, and it, it actually was such an invitation for me to be more loving because mm -hmm. I was centered and grounded and able. I had capacity now that I didn't have the last time around, you know? Mm -hmm. So thank you for, for, for explaining that one. Um, our second orientation that you mentioned in the book, um, the experiences in the body, this embodied orientation. Um, tell us more about that. Yeah, I think this is where the beauty of each of our cultures get to be celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, we're so used to a disembodied faith where it's all up here and there's just something missing from that. Whereas mm -hmm. I, I think other cultures around the world, right, their faith and their spirituality is found in their dances, in their foods, in their rituals, right? It's in same in my culture, same in your culture. Isn't that part of our spirituality? Isn't that part of our faith, right? Isn't that the beauty of how the divine has created us and given us this creativity? Mm -hmm. And so it's just, we need a spirituality that just enters into that more and is able to experience the divine and the sacred through all of our embodied expressions. Mm, I love that. It goes back to what we said earlier about hospitality too, in, in when you think yeah. about it. You know, yeah. that that becomes a part of our spirituality. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, thank you um, for for that. And then our, our third orientation, um, this is probably um, 
one of my favorites, particularly as a love practitioner, um, mm-hmm. but the collective orientation. Um, I One of the quotes I, I snatched out of your book, um, we all long for intimate relationships in which we are truly seen, heard, and known. Um, oh man, that resonated so beautifully and so deeply. Um, I'd love for you to expound on on this this collective um, uh, orientation. Yeah, I think this, it, you're right, this is the most important piece. I wish it wasn't at the end, right? I should have put it at the <laughs> beginning. It, this is the most important um, because so much of the Western spiritual formation literature is just focused on our individual self um, and our own individual faith and spirituality and practices. But that just feels so incomplete to me because mm-hmm. I will not be healed and whole until my community is healed and whole, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to take into account our collective soul, our collective spirituality, how are we taking care of the collective? And it's a really intertwined relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, the heart of the spirituality of love is Mm -hmm. when I'm taking care of myself, I have more space in myself for the community and to take care of the community. When the community is taking care of me, right, then I also, right, can also love myself more, right? So it's like, it's a relationship that's constantly going back and forth that I need to be make space in myself for others, and then allow others to make space for me. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny, as I think back to the experience I had this week, I had more space to be loving, Mm -hmm. even in the presence of that which was unloving, Mm. but I had more space for it and I could still hold it tenderly. I wasn't reactive because I I had more space, but I I will tell you that this has been um, the most beautiful part for me and um, is I've developed a love practice because in the beginning, the love practice was for me. The love love practice was about the work I do for myself um, to to be a better human. And what Mm -hmm. I realized, though, you know, what makes a love practice different from a meditation practice or a yoga practice is both of those are you wrestling with your own self, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's on your mat or on your cushion. And and you dealing with the tension and how you're going to move through that tension on your own. Mm-hmm. But the power of the love practice is that it is interdependent, that we yeah. that it is not doing this dance by ourselves, but it but it it that it, it is the connectivity of how how well I take care of myself and then therefore how loving I can be to you, you know, and vice versa. Um, and and it is it is such a dance. Mm-hmm. It is such yeah. a dance. It is such a dance. And you know, it's we in the U.S. in particular, we are so focused on individualism mm-hmm. that this idea of being communal um, is is almost um, is almost countercultural. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every time I act 
in unkindness or in every conflict that happens in community, there's something that's happening in me that I need to pay attention to, right? So I need to wait, stop myself, right? Where is my reactivity coming from? Where is my unkindness coming from? And that requires me to do deep inner work in myself mm -hmm. so that I can go back out. Okay, how do I respond in kindness and love? Yeah. But yeah. we just don't have a society or culture that teaches us how to do that. So that's why we live in such a violent society. Yeah. We don't have people that can go inward and check that. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said in the beginning, you know, we we've become so numb to everything. And yeah. so we're to your point, we it's 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 almost as if we can't even sense to to even feel that unkindness mm. is happening in us. Yeah because there's so much noise, yeah. there's so much noise. Um, but I, but it is, it, it is, I, I mean, it's just, it's the paradox of, of, of the individuation, right? It's, mm. it's how I become myself, but I can't become myself without you. Mm. And I think that it, that is to me the, the most beautiful piece about love. Um, I believe the Trinity is such a beautiful um, example of that. Um, mm -hmm. And those, I, I think if there were anything that transformed my love practice in, in, in how I formed the ministry since seminary, it has been grounding down into this communal interdependent um, aspect orientation of our faith mm -hmm. that that has been transformative that has been transformative um you know so much so that in the work that i i do um in terms of culture work even in my professional spaces i i start with we are a community mm. we are a community a community um, i'm actually hearing the words of cone coming back to me right now right this 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 call to be our better selves um that's what happens in the accountability and the stretching that community invites us to um and and when we disengage from community and think that it's all about ourselves mm -hmm. we lose that iron sharpening iron um, which I mean is to me is one of the most beautiful images um, of, of that interdependence in the Psalms and the Proverbs mm -hmm. that, that help us see life in those kinds of ways. Um, I love that. I love that. So Cindy, I would love, um, because I've talked about spiritual direction um, on this um, experience in this experience before, but I st I'm still so sensitive to the fact that I know it's so new to people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I would just love to give you a little bit of space um, to even speak to how all the things that we just talked about, how does that um, intersect um, with the work of a spiritual director um, so people can maybe even understand um, why that might be something that they might be interested in looking into. Yeah. So for me, you know, I first became a spiritual director, not planning to 
be a spiritual director. <laughs> so I went to the training, but I wasn't planning at all to like practice or offer spiritual direction to other people. And the reason I did the training was because of what we're talking about right here. Mm-hmm. How do I become a more loving person? Mm-hmm. And what I found in the spiritual direction you know, paradigm or training is it trains you how to make space for other people. Mm-hmm. It trains you how to listen to other people without your own stuff getting in mm-hmm. the way. Like you can mm-hmm. just be fully present and attentive mm-hmm. to another mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. So I did the training to just love better, <laughs> be mm-hmm. a more loving human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what spiritual direction is for those mm-hmm. that, right? It's having another person, right, give you space. Mm-hmm. And together you can kind of, you can explore and discover your sacred self mm-hmm. and be attentive and attuned to the divine love that's also in you and around you and in our communities. And so it's making space to do that with another human being who guides you through that and creates space for that with you. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. What a gift. And I, um, I, I don't know that I had known what a spiritual director was before I came to seminary. I don't, I don't think I had ever even heard the words. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it is, um, what a loving, a, what a loving practice. Mm-hmm. What a loving practice. Um, thank you for um, sharing that with us. Anything that you want to share before we move and shift into the prayer of examen? I just, uh, I love what you do um, and create, you know, in the love practice and being a love practitioner. I love the way you describe yourself and the role that you have taken on. And so keep on doing what you're doing, Jasmine. Thank you, Cindy. That's a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to um, take us through a, 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 a bit of a, a a prayer of examen. And then Cindy, I would love it if you um, would close us in prayer afterward. What I love about having this practice at the end of our time together each month um, is that we've we've heard a lot. We've taken in a lot. Um, We've been able to sit in sacred scripture. We've we've been able to open ourselves to, to hear how the spirit might be leading us. We've heard it, we've seen a conversation and and been touched by the words that have been shared um, as we engaged. And now this is an opportunity for reflection. And I, I love um, that that the this this spiritual practice that's over 500 years old, um, that the purpose of it um, is to help us with discernment in spiritual uh, spiritual maturity in Christ-likeness. And it just, it gives us a space to, to pause and to examine. So let's start by mindfully allowing our day to come into view almost let it play back 
like a movie. And as we do that and we reflect, can we maybe even sense those small little things that we were so grateful for throughout the day, those, those little joys um, that we are grateful for. And as we think about that, can we open ourselves to ask God what God wants us to see? What might God want to bring to our attention? Where might there be an invitation for our hearts and our minds to be open that we might see? And then without judgment, as we review our day, can we notice where God was present. I love um, our friend, Cindy Lisa uh, Cologne DeLay in her book uh, writes about um, St. Ignatius um, believing that when you are aware of God's presence and love, you are filled with deep peace and well-being, love for others, we have a heightened sense of compassion and keener awareness of our connectedness. Can we notice those moments in the day when we felt that? Those moments of consolation where we were moving and feeling closer to God's love. But were there also moments of desolation? Can we sense when we felt furthest away from all of that, where perhaps we may even have felt disconnected? Is there anything that we might regret from our day? Those moments when we were unloving, the beauty of love is it is accountable and it receives as well as it offers forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And based on what you've been sensing, can you see what God might be up to in your context? How might you participate in that, how might you cultivate your love practice? Love is a practice. What we practice, we become. And the beauty of a cyclical orientation is we get a chance begin again. Cindy, will you close us in prayer? Yes, I love to. May all those who are listening right now know their sacred selves and know that 
they are loved and that they are created to love. And may the divine love empower all of us to be lovers of one another and the community. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jasmine. I've you loved having are this conversation. Me too. We could keep going. <laughs> we could. We really could. I know. I know. But be well. You Good too. Good night, everyone. <laughs>